0: Well next Sunday we will gather for a time of celebration and a time of commitment. This is an extremely important day for us and what we do is going to make an impact for years to come concerning the future ministry of First Baptist Church. First Baptist has always been a church with a heart for missions and this is going to enhance our missions. God has begun to call some of our people, and you heard some of our college students a while ago, and they are going to end up on the mission field making an impact for Christ. And I want us to be absolutely committed to them and committed to our missionaries around the world. We have an opportunity to impact the renaissance that is taking place downtown. When we built this building in 1992, everyone was moving out. Businesses were closing. People were moving. But we believe that God wanted us here. We have been here since 1809, and we believe this is the place where God wants us to be. And so we stayed, and now the people are beginning to come back, and we are positioned to make the greatest impact on those lives than anyone else. You heard some of our college students today, and what a tremendous opportunity we have to minister to the campuses. And we have the best college students I've seen anywhere. I'm so proud of them. We have to make a difference in the lives of children. I have said before that either we are going to reach our children for Christ, or the world is going to reach them. So this is important. Now, next week, you're going to come and make your commitment, but Friday night, Our leaders gathered, and they made their commitment. 166 of our leaders made their commitment last Friday night, and they pledged $2.8 million. Now, if that doesn't deserve some applause, nothing does. I am so proud of our leaders. I am so grateful for them, for their vision, for their faith, for their commitment, for their sacrifice. God bless you. No church has been blessed with better leaders than we have. But next Sunday, we need everybody here. We need everybody to come and to participate, so I want you to be here next Sunday and let me encourage you I am asking that we do the best we can towards our pledge. Bring as much as you can towards your pledge next Sunday. Let's have the biggest offering we have ever had next Sunday. Now then, take your Bibles today. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God, Consequently, we urge Titus, that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. And I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it, but now finish doing it also, that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it, by your ability. You know this passage of Scripture is a reminder to me of how strange the people of God are, especially concerning matters of money. Now if you want to know how the world looks at money then look at Enron, home the Anna Nicole Smith debacle and you see the Christian standing in contrast to that because believers are givers. Now look at verse number two that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now that does not sound to me like a description of giving people. When I look at that verse, it mentions affliction. It talks about deep poverty. Albert Barnes wrote, When it might be supposed they were unable to give, when many would suppose they needed the aid of others, or when it be supposed their minds would be wholly engrossed with their own concerns they gave. When I look at this band of believers, they stand in contrast to the world when it comes to matters of money. Now, society had taken advantage of them because they were poor. The government had levied taxes on them which made it difficult. And yet as I look at these Macedonians, they had great joy and great generosity because of their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a different people we are. I see that same kind of spirit with Paul and Silas. The scripture says in Acts 16, verses 23 through 25, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely, But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. The Bible says that Paul and Silas suffered many blows. They were afflicted. Now, the Jews did not allow more than 40 blows because people would die under the intensity of the pain and the suffering. For the Romans, there were no such restrictions. The scripture says that they suffered many blows and they were imprisoned. I have been in some of those prisons where Christians were incarcerated. And they are very crude and they are very uncomfortable. So I look at Paul and Silas. Now here are the people of God. They are put in prison. They have been beaten. And yet the Bible says that about midnight they are praising and praying to God. Can you imagine that? I mean after being abused as they were abused here they are at midnight thanking God, praising God and praying to God for His goodness in their life. What a strange people we are. As believers we stand in contrast to the world and the Macedonians stood in contrast. They were examples of giving. You'll notice in verse number 2b their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. The word deep that is used there means profound. The word poverty that is used means pauper, indigent, beggary. Folks, you and I cannot imagine how poor these people were. They were homeless. These were people who had nothing. They were paupers. They were beggars. They had nothing of their own, and yet the Bible says that out of their poverty, they gave liberally. That spirit was in the widow that you are familiar with her story in Luke 21. He saw a certain poor widow putting in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for they all out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. She became an example for us because she gave all she had. What she had was not much. It amounted to about a quarter of one cent. But she gave all she had. What a strange people we are. You know, studies have revealed that the most compassionate, the most giving people in America are conservative Christians now you would never know that if you listen to the mainstream media because they constantly present us as people who don't care about people and yet when the study has actually been done we are the most generous people in America folks let me tell you something truth is it's not the atheist who builds hospitals it's not the atheist who builds schools it's not the atheist who support ministries to people's needs. It's the people of God. Well, now the atheists have a website where they encourage our young people to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. But they don't minister to people. That is the people of God. It is you. It is the people of God. How strange we are. Generous even when we don't have much. But then we give to please God. There was another church I had heard about where they were having a campaign similar to this one. And a very wealthy man in the church filled out his card and brought it to the pastor. And when he handed it to him, he said, Pastor, this ought to please you. The pastor didn't look at the card. He simply took it and tore it in two and handed it back to him. And he said, go fill it out again and bring it back when it pleases God. Now, folks, that's, that's what we are to do. Our giving ought to please God. Now, how can we give so that we please God? Well, I see that in verse number 5. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. The Bible says that they first of all gave themselves to the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, let me say to you, God does not want your money. It's already His. Now, you might be doing something that he would not approve of with it, but it's already his. The Bible says that he owns everything, so it's already his money. He does not want your money. What he wants is you. And the Bible says that they gave themselves to the Lord and to us. Here are people who had very little and yet they gave themselves in ministry. They gave themselves to Paul. They gave themselves to the Jerusalem saints. They gave themselves. They first of all gave themselves to the Lord. They gave themselves to us. And then you will notice by the will of God. It was God who moved them in their giving. That's really what I've been preaching and what I I desperately desire for you as you consider what you're going to do that you are moved by the will of God. You see, if your giving is based solely on information, then your gift will be a gift of reason. If your gift is based solely on inspiration, then your gift will be a gift of emotion. But if your gift is based on revelation, it'll be right. If you go to God and say, God, what is it you want me to do? Lord, what is to be my part? And he reveals to you what he wants you to do. Then that is going to be right. The Bible says they gave themselves. They gave according to their ability in verse number three. For I testify that according to their ability. That is the parable of the talents. You know, one was given five talents and he was responsible for five. One was given two talents, he was responsible for two. One was given one talent, he was responsible for one. The Macedonians were beggars, but they were responsible for what they had. It doesn't make any difference what we have. The responsibility is in accord with what has been given to us. Peter was on the way to the temple one day, a lame man came out asking for alms, and Peter responded, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. Peter said, I don't have some money to give to you, but what I have, I give to you. Folks, we are responsible for what we have. That's all. Some of you might say, well, you know, I would like to give, I'd like to participate, I would like to be a part But I'm really too poor, I just don't have anything. Well, let me ask you, are you poorer than the Macedonians? Are you poorer than the widow who gave everything she had which was less than one cent? You are responsible for whatever God has given to you. They gave according to their ability. And then you'll notice in verse number 3, I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Now, this is where faith comes in. The scripture says that they gave according to their ability, now that's when we figure out what we have, and then they gave beyond their ability, that is the place of faith. That's when we are trusting the Lord. Paul says that they gave according to their own accord, and then he gives some information or instruction in chapter 9 verse number 7 about this, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says that they gave as they purposed, that means that you make a decision. That's what our leaders did Friday night. They made a decision. They purposed. And you'll notice that he says that they purpose, that we purpose in our heart. If you give according to the head, you'll give what you think you can give. If you give according to the heart, you'll give what God tells you to give. And then the Bible says that we are to give cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver. And you know that that word literally means hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver, a cheerful giver. You've heard it said that God loves a cheerful giver but accepts from a grouch, and I used to say that. But as time went by, I'm not sure, because God really doesn't need our money. Folks, I think whatever it is we do, there ought to be joy in our heart because we're investing in the kingdom of God. We are being obedient to the Lord. So God loves a cheerful giver. And then you'll notice in verse number 4, he says, Begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation. The Macedonians were beggars who begged to give. These are beggars who are begging them, let us give. That reminds me of the story in the Old Testament where they were raising money for the temple and Moses told the people to, to, to make their offering. They began to make their offering and they brought so much money that they had more than they needed and Moses had to go to them and say, we got too much. Don't bring any more. Which causes me to believe they probably were not Baptists. <laughs> no, Baptists are the most generous people. They are the most generous people. But I love that passage of scripture, that verse where it says these beggars begged to give. They wanted to give. So how do we give to please God? We give ourselves, We give according to our ability and we give in faith and then God is pleased. Now there's a word of congratulations there in verse number 7. But just as you abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired, and you see that you abound in this gracious work also." So, So Paul is saying to them that you have abounded in faith. They were orthodox in their beliefs, and so he said, Congratulations, because what you believe is very important. He said, You have abounded in utterance, which was their teaching. They instructed others in the ways of God, and he said, Congratulations! They had abounded in knowledge. They studied the word of God. And he said, congratulations. They abounded in earnestness, which was their service, their ministry. And he said, congratulations. And they loved the things of God. And he said, congratulations, you've done good. And then there's that word of challenge that he gives at the end of verse number 7. He said, abound in this gift also. Abound in your giving also because you see our good works do not eliminate our responsibility to give even though we do good deeds even though we do good things that is not a substitute for our giving And that's what paul is saying here now giving is an individual commitment in verse number ten and i give my opinion in this matter for this is to your advantage who were the first to begin a year year ago not only to do this but also to desire to do it. Do it, he says. Now he's taking up an offering here and he says, now I want you to give, just do it. Some would say, well, this is not a good time for me. I, I would like to participate, but... This is not a good time. Pastor, are you not aware of what's been happening on the stock market? Are you not aware of the volatility that is out there? Are you not aware as to what is happening as far as economy around the world? This is not a good time for me. Folks, do you know that has always been said? In fact, it was said concerning the building of the temple in the Old Testament. The Scripture says in Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says the time has not come, Even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your panel houses while this house lies desolate? Even back then when they were rebuilding the temple, the response from the people was this is not really a good time. This is not a good time. Folks, there's never a good time. If you wait until there's a good time, you're not going to do much, are you? In fact, you wouldn't even be married if you'd waited for a good time. There's a little poem that says, The bride, bent with age, leaned over her cane, Her steps uncertainly guiding, While down the church aisle with a wan, toothless smile, The groom in a wheelchair gliding. And who is this elderly couple thus wed? You'll find when you've closely explored it, that this is that rare, most conservative pair who waited till they could afford it. (laughs) We don't do much if we wait for a good time. So Paul says, just do it. And then do you notice that he said, do it, then desire to do it? Now the order is important because we have reversed it. And we think that we desire it, then we do it. But the truth is there is action and then fo- feelings follow action. That, that is always true concerning, concerning witnessing. I witness and then I feel like witnessing. That is true concerning exercise. I go over and exercise and then I feel like exercising. I don't feel like it first. Well, the same thing is true concerning giving. We do it and then we feel feel like giving. And so he says do it and then he said desire to do it. And then in verse number 11, but now finish doing it. As my grandson Hughes would say, get her done. That's what Paul is saying. He has given the challenge to them. He says do it. Desire to do it. And finish doing it. But get the job done. It is an individual commitment and then we are partners in commitment in verse number 13. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction. But by way of equality at this present time your abundance being a supply for their want. That their abundance also may become a supply for your want that there may be equality. In other words we all are to do our part. That's it. That's what he's saying, that we all are partners. We are to do our part. And then he says that our giving is a testimony of what we believe to be important. It is a testimony of sincerity. Look at verse number 8. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Folks, if I say to you that I love my family, but I do not support them, You would probably say that my testimony is insincere. If I say to you that I love First Baptist Church and I believe in the ministry and I want us to do more in missions and so forth. But then I'm not involved in the giving part of it, then we would probably conclude that we are not sincere. He said our giving is a testimony of sincerity. In other words, it's putting your money where your mouth is. It says, I believe these things, so I'm going to put my money there because I believe those. It's a testimony of sincerity. It is also a testimony of love in verse number 24. Therefore, openly before the church, you show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. So he says that our participation is a testimony of our love. We give to those things that we love, whatever they are. If you want to know what you love, look at your canceled checks. Because they will reveal to you what you really love. Where are you spending your money? Because we spend our money on those things that we love. So he says, God is pleased when we do it. We desire to do it. So he said, finish doing it. Let me conclude. We're strange people. We really are. If you think about it, the people of God are a strange people. We really care about others. We really are generous in our giving. And we really do want to see people saved, even when we're poor. We're strange people. Our desire is that our giving pleases God, that we do what God wants us to do. So we just do it, trusting the Lord and then he is glorified. But let me conclude by reading again verse number 5. And this is not as we'd expected. But they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's where it all begins. You give yourself to the Lord because He does not want your money. He is not broke. He wants you. So during the invitation time today, I'm asking you to begin, for some of you to begin, by giving yourself to the Lord. If you have never come to to Christ, you've never come to know Jesus, give yourself to the Lord today. Let Him be your Savior and Lord. There are some of you who need a church home. You need to be involved. You need to join with us, and we need to join with you. We need to catch hands together to make a difference in our world for Christ while we still have the opportunity to do so. Our doors are open. I hope you'll come today. Gracious Father, we come to a time of invitation, and we ask, Lord, that you bless it. Speak to the hearts of your people. Father, I pray that today there will be those who simply give themselves to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please. And as we stand together, the choir is going to sing. And as they sing, you come to commit your life to Christ, to join the church, to dedicate your life to missions, to ministry. You come. I'll greet you as you do.